Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to The Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Mom Hour. I'm Megan Francis, and today I'm here with the first of two special bonus episodes that are all about parenting teenagers. If you've been listening to this show long, you know that I have five kids and my youngest is now 14. So I've been through this parenting teenagers thing for quite some time now. And let me tell you, I am still learning so much about this stage of parenting. It can be really hard. And one of my biggest challenges personally is how to deal with my teenagers and their emotions without either taking their emotions on as my own or trying to downplay their emotions so that I feel more comfortable. I have definitely found myself doing both of those things at different times over the years. So today I'm talking with Dr. Lisa Demore. She's the author of three New York Times bestsellers, including The Emotional Lives of Teenagers, and she's also the co-host of the Ask Dr. Lisa podcast. Dr. Damore has some great ideas for how to help our kids manage their emotions, as well as how to manage how we react to our kids' emotions. I know you're going to love this conversation, and I personally found it really helpful, so keep listening for that interview. Hi, Dr. Damore. Thank you so much for being on the show. I am delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. I have um, heard so much about your work from friends who are, you know, kind of just getting into this um, teenage parenting stage. I myself have been parenting teenagers for quite some time. My oldest is 25 now, but I feel like I could use a refresher. <laughs> my, <laughs> my youngest is 14. So I'm going to lean on you a little bit um, today in this conversation because there's just some things like happening that I'm very curious about in the emotional realm. Um, things that maybe are a little different with her than it was with the the older four are all boys. Um, and maybe some things I'm just kind of seeing through new eyes. So I guess she's 14 and I would love to just start with this little scenario. It is that my daughter is so dramatic. Um, when she gets home from school, everything is superlative. It's like, 
it wasn't just a boring day. It was the worst day she's ever had. The, you know, the teachers aren't just like not her favorite. They're (laughs) out to get her. And honestly, sometimes I feel like I kind of, uh, waver back and forth between being feeling like I should be doing something to support her feelings while also feeling a little annoyed by them. Like, why do Uh you have to be so dramatic? So just please tell me what's going on here. Is this normal? Am I alone here? Okay. It's totally normal. Um, (laughs) That I can reassure you that is happening. It is happening in most homes, I promise you. But there's a lot to unpack even in that little um, snippet of family life. So the first thing we should recognize is that emotionality in adolescence actually peaks around ages 13 or 14. Um, more on the 13-year-old side for girls, 14-year-old side for boys, but of course, any given kid is going to be in some range around there. And that is because due to the neurological renovations that have been sparked by puberty, the emotion centers are being upgraded and they are in the lower order regions of the brain. And over time, the perspective maintaining systems will be upgraded, but those are in the higher order regions of the brain and it takes time for it to all happen. And so 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds have what we call kind of gawky brains, that Mm. they feel things very, very intensely, and they are not always neurologically capable of maintaining a sense of perspective. And so you may remember this from raising your older kids. It is often the case that as kids hit 15, 16, 17, they seem mellower than they did Mm. at 12, 13, 14. And so it's important just to mark in time that she's kind of at the height of this and it will almost certainly quiet as she ages. That's a relief um, to hear. And, and, <laughs> and I know I definitely want to talk a little bit more about how parents can support um, these emotional stages and, and different ages and stages. But I think it's interesting that you said that it, it quiets. And I think my memory of her brother's is not this dramatic part. It's the more recent part, which is the the quietness and the mellowness. Um, for the boys, this could sometimes look like being a little withdrawn, sometimes a yeah. little sullen. And I hear yeah. from a lot of parents that that's what they're experiencing with their teens. So what's going on when when that's how the emotionality is being expressed? Well, it's interesting because I think some kids are you know prone or inclined to get relief by expressing their emotions. Other kids are trying to get relief by actually trying to keep a lid on things and not mm. let, it, let it get out of control. And it's interesting, boys as a group are not as socialized as girls are to express their feelings in words. And I've actually had a boy say to me, it was actually um, a boy who I quoted in my most recent book, say to me that when he's feeling really stirred up, he doesn't really have the words for what he's feeling, but it just feels like static to him. Mm. And so I've cared for boys who get very, very stirred up and they actually close into themselves or actually leave the room or remove themselves. And one boy explained to me is that he was scared. He didn't know what he was going to do. Like his mom was on his case one time about something and he felt himself really stirred up and he walked away in the middle of the conversation and his mom was really mad and I understand why, but he told me later, he's like, I didn't want to hit her, you know? So I think what looks like, um, you know, removal or remoteness or even a kind of blankness, I think sometimes as a kid, you know, of any gender, trying not to do something they don't mean to do. And so we have to acknowledge that, especially in these junctures where their feelings are really, really potent and they know it and their breaks are comparatively weak. Yeah. And that's the exact advice we might give to an adult in a situation where things are escalating. Um, 
and their emotions feel out of control, we would probably tell them, leave, <laughs> leave the yeah. situation, remove yourself. Um, and we don't always give our kids that same space. It's like when it's our kids, we think, well, no, I want to have this conversation now. This conversation has to happen now. Where are you going? Don't you walk away from me. Exactly. Yeah. And the kid may not be in a place neurologically or emotionally to say, listen, I also want to have this conversation, but I'm really feeling this very intensely and I don't want to do or say something I regret, right? I mean, that may be more than we can reasonably ask. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite Factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Now, there's something else going on with your daughter that I want to return to in terms of just that really um, loaded moment, you know, at the end of the school day when a kid comes home and is just full of complaint and very um, vigorous complaint. I think the other thing we have to remember is they are really good all day. They hold it together quite beautifully. And if any one of us followed our kid through a school day, and I would say probably especially a seventh, eighth, ninth grade school day, 
we would not make it. We would not get past second period before we had to like <laughs> yeah. go true. Like on the floor, crawling, yeah, like curled up in a ball. Absolutely, yeah. Right. I mean, they are dealing with so many kids who they did not choose to be sitting next to, much less in a group project with. They are dealing with so many adults who, you know, some of them really are our kids' cup of tea. A lot of them are not a good fit for our kids. They may be a great fit for somebody else's kid. But our kids are incredibly patient and decent and bluntly obedient, right, with adults who are giving them instructions all day and running their time all day. And they very rarely act out at school. They very rarely throw themselves on the floor. They very rarely pinch the kid next to them. And I think that part of the the bargain here is they keep it together all day long. And then when they get to us, they're like, Oh my Lord, like you're not yeah. going to believe, right? What I went through today. And what I would use as the measure of success is whether after that venting, even if it feels like it's kind of in a high lather, if after that venting, your daughter is like, okay, I have, you know, blown off all the steam of the day. I feel better this evening and I'm also willing to return tomorrow. If that's the outcome, that's as good as it gets. And yeah. and I think we really want to honor that. I think the only part where it gets tricky is if there's actually two versions of it gets tricky. One is the kid doesn't feel better after venting, in which case it's worth considering whether something should be done. And we'll come back to that. The other is that parents can sometimes feel like if they just let the kid vent or they just listen and empathize like, oh man, that sounds really lousy or I'm so sorry or that stinks. They can worry that they're actually endorsing a very negative view of the world and perhaps an overly negative view of the world. I think that's where I get tripped up. I, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that it's probably not worth it. I'm almost sure it's not worth it to, to quibble with her. Like, really, is it that bad? If you've tried this, I'm sure it has failed like miserably, right? Yeah. She'll yeah. be like, I know, mom. I'm just like, yeah. she knows. Like, she even knows she's okay. being over the top, you know? Okay. So it's not, it's like, she it, she knows it's separated from actual reality, but yet that's how she needs to express it. So no, she does not appreciate me pointing out <laughs> how bad is it really? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but the beautiful thing, so she's 14. So 14 also comes with a neurological watershed of being able to take perspective in a whole new way. And it sounds like based on what you just said, that she actually has crossed that, that line. And so she even herself can say, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, giving this a little bit more color than it deserves. But I think you could in a moment that is not the height of a complaint, talk about that and say, look, if part of how you can be such a solid citizen all day long is to come home and give me the like, you know, most vivid account of what happened, I'm here for it. And I trust that if it were really very serious or things were truly, truly bad, you would let me know, you know, and I am okay with you having to deal with the uncomfortable. There's no getting around it. You're just going to let me know if we've hit unmanageable. Okay, so one of the um, things you were just saying um, actually sparked a different question for me, and that's when we're talking about perspective and helping our kids. Um, it sounds like in this case, I'm really just giving her room to express her emotion. But is there any yeah. place for a conversation that helps kids understand that these feelings won't like won't be forever? That the things <laughs> that are happening to them right now aren't how it's going to be for the rest of their lives because. 
sometimes I feel like I look for too many teachable moments or something. And like, maybe what I should do is just, you know, chill out and listen a little bit. Um, I think a lot of chill out and listen is what teenagers need all through development. I mean, they just, they really need places to vent. They really um, do well when they know they can come home and just let their hair down and say things that they've been holding in all day and do so without worrying about where it's going to end up or being told that they're, you know, overreacting. I think that there's real value in just um, letting home be a place where kids can not, you know, have to hold it together as well as they do everywhere else, especially when their feelings are so intense. I think the perspective piece is really valuable in terms of helping kids understand their own neurological development. And what I mean by that is that explaining to them that their brain is changing and changing in a very particular order where their emotion centers are upgraded and, you know, kind of comparatively powerful relative to their perspective maintaining systems, but that won't last forever. I have actually found to be very reassuring to teenagers. And I'm not usually somebody who is like, let me tell you what's happening internally, psychologically, you know, to a teenager. Cause I'm like, you know, they get to be teenagers. We get to support them. But on this one, to give them a time frame and an explanation for why their feelings become so powerful is really, really a gift because every one of them remembers being 10 or 11 and not having this experience, having the same things go down at school, but not reacting strongly. And then here they are at 13 and 14 and they feel at the end of their rope about this. And it's really, really helpful to give them an explanation so that they don't feel like something is really wrong because sometimes they worry that it is. Yeah, that um, that is really helpful. Thank you. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids' vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. 
Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. When we were talking a little bit before about um, the kids for whom expressing emotions might look like sullenness or with, you know, being really withdrawn or another one that I've noticed in my kids is being very sarcastic, almost mean spirited. Mm -hmm. Um, What would your suggestion be for helping your kids with those feelings? Or, I mean, it's different when they're in your face complaining, (laughs) then you can listen and, and find ways to um, help just like be that listening ear. But what if they won't let you be a listening ear? What if they're removing themselves from the situation? What should parents do? Well, One of the frameworks that I lay out in my new book, The Emotional Lives of Teenagers, is that psychologists actually think about emotion regulation as a two-sided process, that sometimes kids get relief by expressing, and sometimes kids get relief by actually taming their emotions, that finding ways to get an emotion to quiet down is not a bad way to manage the feeling. Not all kids are talkers, or they may not want to talk about a particular thing, or they may have tried talking about something and they actually felt worse the more they focused on it. So I think the first thing we want to do is be open to the possibility that a kid who's had a long day and comes home and does not want to unpack it, but does want to roll around on the floor with the dog or does want to eat some comfort food or does want to go, you know, watch a favorite TV show just to get their mind off the day. That is also healthy emotion regulation. And what we're looking for is strategies that bring relief and do no harm. Now, parents can worry, well, sometimes like, eventually don't they have to express emotions or should they be, you know, and I think that's fair. But then on that, we want to be open-minded. A lot of kids express emotions in ways that are nonverbal, but also really healthy. They may go get it out physically. They may go listen to music that matches their mood and cry alongside that music or have an angry dance alongside that music. They may make art, they may make music. So we need to be receptive to those possibilities. And then we also have to be receptive to the fact that they may want to talk, but might, might not want to talk to us, right? They, they may have a feeling like, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, I told you so, or, you know, if I tell you, you're going to tell someone else. So sometimes there are barriers to talking to one's parents. And sometimes it just feels sort of too personal or too weird, but they're talking to a really wonderful peer or, you know, a cousin or someone else. So we want to be broad-minded about Um, how kids regulate emotion, and then also the place that expression plays and the place that expressing to parents play. And if a parent's worried that there is a barrier that keeps their kid from talking with them about feelings, they should just address it head on and say, look, you know, I, I notice that you're upset. I notice you're not saying anything. Is there something I do or have done that gets in the way? You know, I, I'm open to the possibility that I've stepped in it and I want to get it right. So do that groundwork if there's a worry. How do you um, advise that parents, hmm, this is a big question and I'm probably going to make it way too broad, but as you're talking, I'm thinking about all the baggage we bring into parenting that can be triggered by the way our teenagers um, interact with us. We might feel really threatened if they're direct. We might feel like our feelings might get hurt if they're withdrawn. Like, oh, there's so many ways this can go. Um, What do you suggest 
we do while we're dealing with that? Should we be honest with our kids about that? That maybe this is really hard for me. Like this conversation is really hard for me because, or is that sort of not their problem? Well, sometimes it's not their problem and sometimes it is. Okay. Here's when it's not their problem. Teenagers have jobs that they need to do in the name of becoming adults. And in my book, Untangled, I laid out the seven jobs (laughs) and there's one per chapter and it's parting with childhood, joining a new pack, harnessing emotions, contending with adult authority, planning for the future, entering the romantic world and caring for themselves. And the more that we can frame their behavior as their effort to accomplish those jobs, as opposed to something they are doing to us that is personal, the better it goes. So I think that's the part that is not their problem. There's also the reality that teenagers sometimes express their emotions or handle their emotions in ways that are unacceptable right? That they may say really mean things or they may harm themselves. And that is a place where we step in as adults. And that is a place where we can be upset. You know, we want to watch how we manage our own upset feelings. But I think there's such value in that axiom of like, all feelings are acceptable, all express, you know, all forms of expression are not, right? So we help make that distinction for them. But the reality is we are going to get stirred up as parents of teenagers, even if we have a really good handle on our own baggage. You know, teenagers are, it's a very intense thing to raise an adolescent. And one of the things we want to do is every time we ourselves are having a hard time with feelings, we want to treat that as an opportunity to model the healthy management of emotions. So we don't want to be jerks. We don't want to go grab the wine bottle. We want to say, you know what? I'm super upset. This is kind of hard. I'm going to go take a walk around the block. I'll be back. (laughs) And then we can talk about it. Let me cool off. So you can treat it as an object lesson you know, or as a masterclass for what we expect a young person to do when they are feeling really riled up. Um, One more question, and that is um, for the purposes of the article that I'm writing, really the, the hypothesis I'm starting with is that it can feel like this stage of parenting, especially as they get into the older teen years, and they're sort of like one foot out the door, they're forward focused, like they're thinking of their future. And the way I kind of um, framed it is I feel a little bit like the lame duck parent. Like nobody voted me in. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm still making rules, but nobody cares about my rules anymore. They're excited for the next administration, right? So I wonder what your response would be to that feeling that can kind of come over us that what we're doing doesn't really matter or that the way that no one's paying, the kids aren't paying attention to us anyway. Um, Logically, I know that's not true, but it can be hard not it can be hard to quiet that message in my own head sometimes. Yeah. Well, there's two ways to think about this. One is to appreciate that in development, we want and expect kids to start to loosen ties to their parents and strengthen ties to their age mates. And that's actually what makes it possible for them to do things like move out and, you know, enroll or enlist or become employed, you know, like to go live their lives independently. So this is kind of the end game we've been shooting for. And we need to remember that. The other thing is, it's all part of a vast renegotiation, right? That they had the relationship they had with you as a kid, then the relationship they had with you as a teenager. And then they're trying to figure out what their relationship with you as an adult is going to look like. And this is all very much in flux. And part of why it's very much in flux is that they are very much in flux. They are figuring out who they are. They are figuring out how they're going to manage independently. They are figuring out what their own values and interests are. And so the more that Adults can just stand back and think, this is not personal. My young person is working this out. 
as long as I don't make it a bigger deal than it is, as long as I don't take it too, you know, personally and I, you know, become too injured by it, I trust that over time we'll get to this next shore, right? But I think there is a time where you're between the shores and, and you don't know what that next shore is looking like and you're kind of swimming in that direction. Um, and it's best to sort of treat it as that as opposed to you've fallen off a cliff. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Damore. This has been a great conversation. Um, we will definitely link up your books and um, tell people where to find you and your podcast online. I, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening, everybody. And if you want to find out more about Dr. Damore and her work, you can check out the show notes for those links. And keep an eye on the feed because in two weeks on June 30th, we have another special bonus episode coming up about parenting teens. In that episode, I'll be interviewing pediatrician Dr. Ken Ginsberg, director of the Center for Parent and Teen Communication, about just why parents are so important to our teenagers and their development, even when it seems like they don't want or need us around. You're definitely going to want to listen to that interview too. So be sure to listen on June 30th and I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to The Mom Hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you like today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Megan, you know what I love about our partner, The Essential Calendar? I love the product so much, of course, but I also love that it comes from a small business founded by two moms. Right, just like us. Listeners, if you're drowning in details right now, like summer camps, travel plans, end of school year mayhem, give yourself the gift of The Essential Calendar, a seasonal at-a-glance poster-sized calendar for your wall. Get 10% off your order at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour. That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash the mom hour.